I don't have quite a, a cold open planned as much as a like uh, a writing question. Okay, I do that sometimes. Yeah, you're a writer, Jack, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, I also <laughs> stare at a screen uh, <laughs> like Taika Waititi for eight hours. Man, and then... he, the, the dude just gets it, right? Yeah. <laughs> have you uh, written the Star Wars? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So you've based characters on yourself, right? Uh yeah yeah it's a here and there yeah yeah I mean I feel like every writer does that to one to some extent or another right yeah it's the best form of self abuse <laughs> <laughs> yeah honestly it kind of, it's kind of it's kind of fair yeah. uh I've had this long running idea in the back of my head for a story that I have no idea if I'll ever do partially because I don't know how to really pull it off very well and partially because it feels extremely masturbatory uh. <laughs> Right. Where it is just different versions of me running into each other and just getting con- just more and more frustrated with each past version of myself they encounter. Ooh, okay. And there being like just this cycle of frustration and hatred amongst all of them. You haven't heard of a movie or a show called Loki, have you? Oh, piss. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. They did. <laughs> Disney beat me to it, huh? <laughs> yep. Disney beat you to it. The mouse got you again. Oh, God damn it. One of these days, <laughs> But the important question is, would you have sex with a female version of yourself? Oh, God. Um, I've already invoked the word masturbatory. Um, <laughs> She'd be a blonde. If we're going that doesn't make that around. much of a difference. Just, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine you as a blonde, and it's difficult because it, it's just I, you. I actually don't like it. I, I've seen you I've seen you in a blonde wig. So <laughs> You have seen me in a blonde <laughs> wig. This is very true. Not quite doing it for me. Yeah, honestly, me neither. Yeah. yeah, no. All right, so no one wants to fuck uh, the female version of you, huh? Why we didn't, uh, hold, hey. No one, not a single person. Not a sing- oh, <laughs> I feel sorry for her. That's awful. I'm fascinated to see how this ties in. Uh, well, I mean, the reason I asked, well, I guess I should say first, uh, welcome to Derazzled, the podcast w- where we take award-winning worst films and fix them, uh, except on our second unit episodes. Uh, welcome to the second unit where today we are delving into our brand new series, development hell. So the reason I asked this weird writing question is because of the subject matter that we're delving into here today. Uh, the movie that did not come to pass that we're talking about is The Amory Wars. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know who I'm talking to because you didn't introduce us. Who are you again? Oh, right. That's a part of hosting, right. Yeah, my, I'm Joe Neelis. I'll be your host for this one. And with me, as always, is also host Jack Culbertson. Hi. It's weird to say that backwards. Yeah. Uh, so, but you did it. <laughs> but I did it, and here we are. So, yeah, so we're, we're covering the Amory Wars here today, which is a, uh, a comic book series based off a variety of the albums that have been released by the band Coheed and Cambria. So the reason I asked this is because the main character of the, like, the first four albums of this story, written by Claudio Sanchez, is named Claudio. So is he the Coheed or the Cambria? Neither. Those are those are Claudio's parents. We'll we'll delve a little bit more into the specifics of the story. If you've never heard of the, the uh, Amory Wars or Coheed and Cambria, 
don't worry. You can take a seat right beside me. Uh, <laughs> while I've been doing my bit of research for this, which is just listening to the albums and uh, quote unquote reading the lyrics, I've been kind of adding in little bits of my own music here and there, a little bit of Tijuana, uh, Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass, a little bit of Swingle Singers, just something to really kind of offset the sad, sad boy. There was a lot of sad boy in there. So for if if you've never listened to Coheed and Cambria, they're a band from Nyack, New York, started in the early 2000s, released their first studio album in 2002, and... Uh, have been running strong since. Uh, all of the albums that Coheed and Cambria have released follow this story that is overarchingly known as the Amory Wars, with the exception of one album. There is one of their ten albums that they've released that is just music. It has nothing to do with anything else. A holiday special. Kind of. Like the Christmas. Kind of. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, well, think of it more as a Father's Day special, because ah. it was mo- it was mostly inspired by the birth of Claudio's son, Atlas. Uh, so that is – yeah, he named his kid Atlas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He's a fucking nerd. It's just uh-huh. I'm trying to think if Atlas ever did anything really terrible in mythology. But I don't think oh, so. I don't know. Probably it's yeah, mythology, right? Yeah, they hurled the Earth into a black hole or some shit. I don't know. Nice, thanks, Atlas. <laughs> Completely making that up. So the reason that we're covering this on this show, which you know, that might seem a little bit weird that we're covering a bunch of random prog metal albums and uh, and some comic books. But this was announced to be adapted into a feature-length film at San Diego Comic-Con in, tw- in 2012. And it was announced that it was going to be produced by Mark Wahlberg and Leverage Management. Right. Yeah. When I think of... Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I think of I, I, th- I the think sweet emo band post hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think post hardcore emo prog metal. Right. Uh, nonsense. And their Just, fancy burger place. And their fancy burger place. Uh, we'll talk about the burger place a little bit. Oh God. <laughs> a very little bit. The initial reports were that everyone involved in the uh, in the in the project at the announcement including Mark Wahlberg himself was like really excited about about the story and like really into it and really looking forward to making this story happen but then nothing did there was just silence and nothing for a long long time until uh Wahlberg's rights to the uh to the property mm. lapsed okay. uh Claudia Sanchez announced in 2019 that the the deal that they had had expired and all of the rights had reverted back to him Okay. Well, at least it's not tied up somewhere. Right. Yeah. That's the nice. That is the nice thing, and we'll touch a little bit more on that later. But first, I want to ask: Had you had any prior experience or exposure to this band uh, before this little excursion here? The only thing I know about the Coheeds and Cambrias is when I was standing in line to get my I card at IUP, my like very first photo. uh, There's a poster for them to play at. I guess Fisher. Uh, no, they played the Ohio Room. I was at that show. Ah. <laughs> uh, I was like, I should go see them because I'm a college student and it'll be fun. I didn't. I it didn't w- it. it it was a fun show. I have a little bit of a salty memory about that show, specifically because I went with my first girlfriend, mm. and when the main support for that tour, the Blood Brothers, came out to play, uh, they are like an extreme post-hardcore, like loud, screechy, screamy band, uh-huh. and my little 18-year-old, no, freshly 19-year-old emo heart was just like, oh my god, this is great, I'm gonna love this, and she got a migraine, <laughs> so, right, we to, right. so we went outside, and she... Oh. She did not have a good time from that. She she stuck it out. And we still watched. We still listened to Coheed, 
But uh, was yeah. she familiar with Coheed and Cambria before that? From mostly from me, but yes. Okay. Okay. There was also a horrible review of that show written up in the uh, campus newspaper, The Pen. That's what it was. I was like, what was that called? Which is really the reason that I was salty about the whole experience is because they they had all these glowing things to say about the Blood Brothers, uh-huh. which great. They're they're a, a, an amazing hardcore band if you're into that thing, which. You know, you know, my experience was unfortunately not getting to enjoy them. And they wrote Coheed off as claiming that all of their songs sounded like closers. Huh. Which is a weird thing to say in like a, like a, just a bad, bad read on like the <laughs> You music. want to go beat up a bunch of like journalist majors? I actually for a minute turned into like an 80 year old man and was, <laughs> and I, I had a, a draft of a letter to the editor where I was going to be <laughs> complaining about that. And I thankfully did not send it because I should not have been that person at 19. No. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time I mentioned that in years. So I've known about this band for ever. When they released the music video for A Favor House Atlantic, which is like the big single off of their second record, I I was in immediately. Was, first off, the video's goofy as hell. It's just like this – it has no tie-in to any of the story or anything like that because at that point of the band, it was like no one's going to get it. We're, no one's going to understand mm-hmm. this. We're just going to have fun as musicians. Can I pause you for one moment? Yes. I want you to pretend from this moment on uh-huh. that I literally was at a luau party listening to like – Les Baxter with like a doc tail. Uh, and I stepped into a wormhole, landed in 2022. It was a bad trip. And you're like, hey, here's some music that'll blow your mind. And I'm like, you're not wrong. So <laughs> that is my base knowledge for what we're about to do, which is nothing other than I know their album cover has a big Roman numeral four on it. One of them, and yes. I think they have a lot of hair. Claudio, in particular, has a lot of hair. He actually tried to trick everybody into thinking he cut his hair <laughs> uh-huh. back in 2016. I think it was. It might have been sooner than that, or, or, or earlier than that. I forget exactly. But he had been wearing a ball cap, and there was nothing coming out the back of him. People were like, "No, what happened to your mane? <laughs> like, what?" Ha-? Like, people were worried it was a Samson situation. Oh no! And he was going to lose all of his power. Uh, but then they went on tour, and like the very first show. He, he's a very energetic performer, so the hat uh, just flew off, oh, and all okay. his hair comes springing out, and people lost their fucking minds. Fantastic reveal. So I yeah. know nothing about music beyond 1967. <laughs> uh, if you know nothing about music since mm-hmm. 1967, man, this band's going to be completely inaccessible to you. <laughs> See, now you get it. <laughs> now you know where I am with this music. <laughs> Oh man, I guess I shouldn't entirely say that. They do, they do take some classic rock uh, influence in some of their in some of their songs, particularly as you get later on into their material. There is, in particular, at the very end of their third record, a uh, kind of just like a kind of country-ish riff on a Led Zeppelin tune. Huh. Yeah, I forget, I forget the name okay. of, the, I forget the name of the Zeppelin tune, but it's just like like a bonus track hidden at the very end of the record. Uh, if which, you had to do it with your mouth right now, could you? No, oh. no, because we, we, copyright. <laughs> well, uh, one improv rules. So yes, you bet, and uh, copyright rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it! Oh, uh, we we cut out there for a second. Oh, <laughs> we missed it. Uh, yeah, man, it was really good. It was really good. Man, I, I knew I, the exact I, Zeppelin song you're talking I about. I didn't know I could do that. Mm-hmm. It was oh man. Did, did everyone? Anyone hear that? Anyone? Anyone? No. Mm. Okay, I'm sorry. 
How much of them did you get a chance to really listen to uh, before before we jumped in here? So you know that scene in Ghostbusters where I think it's Ray is talking to Vankman. He's like, you never did the homework, did you? <laughs> uh, it's not quite that bad because I did listen to the, well, the first two-ish. And we did do the playlist, which is available now on on Spotify, Spotify. yes. Uh, yeah, if you look up uh, Canberra Heat and the Tijuana Brass on, sorry, Derazzled Presents Canberra Heat and the you. Tijuana Brass, uh, you can see this playlist, which is largely a bunch of my favorite Coheed songs from mm-hmm. all of their records and then uh, interspersed uh, intermissions of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Just to kind of help it go down a little smoother. If it's not entirely your thing, but you're, but if you're still interested to check it out. So I did listen to some of the playlists. So mm-hmm. that is to say maybe about 40 minutes worth. Okay. All right, yeah. So you you see, so, yeah, so you probably got into third album territory. Yes. Yeah. Which we'll talk a little bit more about some of the structure and the number of albums and the stories and how things tie together a little bit more. In fact, right now we're going to talk a little bit about Great. that regarding the comic series at the very least and how that ties in. So, what the fuck is this story about? Because just listening to the records, you, you're really at a loss for like how some of this stuff ties in. Because sometimes dialogue is used as lyrics, sometimes feelings and emotions about things are used as lyrics, sometimes there aren't lyrics. Depends on the thing. So the short version is that Claudio Sanchez made himself into the hero of a bizarre sci-fi epic where his secretly robot parents were tricked into killing his siblings by a space wizard dictator guy, but he gets away because of mysterious powers. After fleeing home, he comes under the protection of a sexy blue fallen angel and learns he's some kind of space messiah. Despite palling around with an angel, his supernatural robot uncle and his weird child robots, and eventually a psycho killer who's in love with his gun, Claudio can't take down the wizard fascist and has an existential crisis in which it's revealed that God is a whiny writer who A, is pissed at his at his ex who might have cheated on him with a friend, and B, plagued by hallucinations of a demonic 10-speed bicycle. Claudio has actually been God's angsty self-insert character, and ultimately he kills everyone. Yes, that's what I got out of the album, albums as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, yeah. wow, way to go. First yeah. pass. Yeah. Got it in one. <laughs> I was reading the lyrics and I still was like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, no, that is that's a big issue with trying to get into the meat of this story with just the music. The comics are a really helpful mm-hmm. uh, way to elucidate a lot of that, and like you, there are clear usages of lines from the songs that mm-hmm. help like make those connections for you. Problem is, particularly whenever you're trying to get started with the first series, it's out of print. Yeah, that doesn't help. It really doesn't help. Like I actually tried ordering a. Uh, a copy of the uh like the ultimate edition compendium so of, mm-hmm. of all 10 of all 10 issues for the first album second stage turbine blade and that um <laughs> i'm sorry the words sorry, the look <laughs> the look on your face just, it just the, makes it sounds like you're making up words I, I, d- dude don't even get me don't <laughs> even get me started just <laughs> so uh half price books is not a great place to buy comics from online um, I love I love the place otherwise, but like if you're trying to buy something specific, don't try to do it from the website because they don't know what they have in terms of comics. So like they had the cover up of the compendium that I thought I was getting, and then it turned out it was actually the trade paperback of the first half of Second Stage Turbine Blade. Yeah. So I yeah, so it was only the first five issues. It doesn't have the whole thing, but. Thankfully, they're being very nice and understanding about their about the fact that they really messed the listing up and they'll be getting a refund. Thanks, Half Race Books. Yeah, so thank thank you for that. Did I hear you say that God wants to ride his bike 
he likes to ride his bicycle. He li- he wants to ride his bike. Was that God? That uh, was that was God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. God like. Well, it's so, more it's more his bike likes to ride him about killing off the representation of his ex. That is not the Queen song. I was no, hoping it would be. no. Uh, you would uh-huh. be one hell of a backwards listening to get that out of the Queen <laughs> song. So if you play if you the play record backwards, if you play bicycle race backwards oh. and take a lot of acid. Mm-hmm. This sounds almost like an MK Ultra test of some sort. You know what? Yeah, this this every the the entire pitch you gave me for this episode sounds like an MK Ultra. It, actually, you know what? Yeah. Might have been. Um, yeah, I've duped again. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. We're gonna dig a little bit more directly into what like what could have went wrong with this, like why this never actually came to pass as a film. Sure. Uh, but I think first, let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll come and uh, yeah, we'll. We'll come back fresh and jump on in here. All right. And welcome back. Thank you for sticking around with us here. Uh, so, again, we are talking about the Coheed and Cambria albums and the story of the Amory Wars that spans them. So, Jack, why, having heard what you've heard so far, why do you think a movie didn't actually come out of this when it was supposed to? Uh, because it didn't come out as an animated film in the late 70s. That's Directed by Ralph Bakshi. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Yeah, partially live action. I really want Mostly the Bakshi animated. version of this. <laughs> yeah. Holy He's not shit. doing anything. <laughs> is he still alive? He is. He is. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He just can't I'm get funding for anything. Send a fucking letter to Claudio Sanchez. Just I'll take Bakshi. You can take Claudio Sanchez. Perfect. <laughs> we can get them in a room together. It'll be awful, but yeah, no. <laughs> Let's do it. I don't uh, know a whole lot about Bakshi as a person, so I'm not he's, sure if he's, he's a like, curmudgeon. He's your kind of like run of the milk curmudgeon. Yeah, see, Claudio's not. He's like he's he's introverted, but he's like the sweetest person on earth. It's gonna be a fascinating collaboration. <laughs> it, it, more seriously, I think that it would be impossible to do without lots of money and green screen. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So aside from the money and the green screen, which, again, this is going to have Mark Wahlberg backing, so money could have very well been there. Or at least I'm willing to believe it was possible for it to be there. But we'll we'll touch on Wahlberg a little bit more specifically later on. For right now, I want to focus on how I think, story-wise, there are several reasons that this is just flat-out hard to adapt. So first off, it's a very personal story. Even though it's about space wizards and weird space messiahs and uh, uh, angry misogynist god and so on and so forth, a lot of it, Sanchez has specifically said in interviews, is uh, has been a veil for him to talk about shit in his real life that he's experienced and use, but use songwriting as like the way to do that because he's he's not always the best at communicating with people. As an introvert, but he's an incredibly skilled songwriter. So that introverted musicians got it. Yeah, precisely. So he's so thoroughly wrapped up in this. I mean, not just because he made him himself the protagonist and thus also sideways made himself God. It would be difficult to really get somebody to like collaborate with him to like make something solid out of this because he's so mired in the material personally. Uh, There now. There is precedent for people collaborating with him on this, uh, particularly through the comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant to ask, is he writing this entirely by himself or uh, he, does he have a co-writer? So with – it's 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 changed from, uh, from part of the story to part of the story. Okay. So he had – or it was just him for second stage Turbine Blade. It was him and – I'm also interested to know who the artist is. <laughs> There's been a few different artists. I, I uh, take – 
The current one that's still running with the series is Rags Morales. Oh, nice. He did he did a run on Action Comics with Grant Morrison. Oh, nice. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. That's just the one I know. That's from. that's appropriate. A lot of people compare the uh, the third album twist that takes place in this to being kind of Grant Morrison esque. So you know, yeah. Which is a, another artist who has not been able to be adapted because all this shit sounds like it should be a 70s animated backstreet oh, film. Man, it's wild. Yeah. Peter David is the uh, the other writer that helped oh, out with yeah. In Keeping okay. Secrets of Silent Earth 3. Uh, and then when they got to the the third album, which uh, the t- I'm finally going to say the full title of, if you don't already know, is Good Apollo, I Am Burning Star for Volume 1 From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. That's the entire title of that album. Do you know how <laughs> confusing it was to look at your track listings for the <laughs> Spotify playlist? Yeah. And then try to figure out, like... Which colon you have to start reading from for the song titles? <laughs> what album am I looking... I... Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to say Peter David famously wrote The Hulk and X Factor. Um, okay. Yeah, he's a, he was a pretty big... Pretty big comic writer. Very nice. I think, no, no, no. Yeah, definitely the Hulk and uh, X Factor, though. Uh, I think most people consider the story in in Keeping Secrets to be one of the more like straightforward and and accessible parts of the story. That's so the one he wrote. That's the one that or Peter co-wrote. David was uh, co wrote. Okay. But I think even just from the music, it's a little bit there. Mm. You're able to pick bits and pieces of that story out a little bit easier. At least I felt that way. Uh, and but uh, but for Good Apollo Volume One, uh, Claudio's wife Chandra Eckert uh, co-wrote with him, and she has been mired in this world with him for a very long time at this point, to where she has helped write a lot of supplementary hmm, material cool. and helped flesh out some more details within the story to make particularly Good Apollo One more understandable. Because Jesus fucking Christ! Well, you didn't get the whole plot from that title. No, no, no not at all. Neither. <laughs> uh, um, they when the when that album came out it was actually released with a trade paperback of a full graphic novel hmm. uh that was supposed to cover the entirety of the story of that album and it was damn near in, indecipherable like i remember i poured over that thing for like a year and a half and could not figure it out with the graphic novel that came with it yes I, I love that in a, a graphic novel where it's just like deeply I, impenetrable <laughs> i need to have a doctorate to be able to understand what i'm reading uh Amazing, unique art style behind mm-hmm. it. It was like ethereal and painterly in a number okay, of ways. Cool. It was really cool, but like, man, it did not feel like it elucidated a goddamn thing. <laughs> You've made it more confusing, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it genuinely felt that way. But um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get my hands on the like the new graphic novel, like the actual official Amory Wars version of it. Now that that's, I think there's a full. And that's also out of print? Of that. No, that one should not be out of print. That's okay. much more recent. Much like the Venture Brothers releasing seasons, there have been some wide gaps between releases in these comics, which raises part of the problem of, the, of this story is that the fourth album and the climax of Claudio's story hasn't been put to print yet. That's that's like that's like the next comic project that they have lined up right now. Is and they to are finally start that. They are working on okay. it. Okay. Uh but they just have so many other things that they're doing. Like they just released a new album as of this recording um 3 days ago. So like the Acapella Jazz album. The Acapella Jazz album. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. We'll talk a little bit more about that album and like what's coming down the pike for for Coheed closer to the end of the show. But for right now I want to get back into the into like why I don't think this 
has Great. actually yeah. managed to happen yet. And the, one of the biggest reasons, I think, is because the story is extremely dense, if not outright convoluted. So to exemplify that, I'm going to cover some key concepts that you need to know just for a base level understanding of this and go through a quick synopsis of the second stage turbine blade as that would likely be the material for the first film. Great. Do you have a PowerPoint? Uh, kind of. Okay. Okay. So the key concepts you need to know about are first the setting. This takes place in a cluster of 78 planets in a sector of space known as Heaven's Fence. Uh, it's 78 planets arranged in a triangle formation uh, surrounded by seven stars uh, known as the Stars of Cyrus that help power the uh, the strange energy source that holds them all together, which is known as the Keywork. Yeah, I'm with you so far. Okay. Uh, so Keywork, powered by stars, holds planets in shape. Yes. Uh, the beings of Heaven's Fence, created by God, we'll put a pin in God for a minute, are the humans, or man, who populate the planets, mm -hmm. the mages, who... Uh, rule over the humans are supposed to be benevolent, uh, uh, loving you know, leaders amongst the humans of, of these different sectors of these planets. So they control sectors of the key work. So not God level, but either like demigod or Titan type. Something along okay. those lines. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're not like, I mean, they, I mean, they definitely look alien and other compared okay. to humans, but they're not like, they're not like gargantuan. They're not like, they're not like Marvel celestials gotcha. or anything okay. like that. So there's one mage to rule over one, each of the 12 sectors of Heaven's Fence, and they ended up in a war amongst themselves. One mage named Wilhelm Ryan took over the territories of uh, two of the other mages adjacent to his, mm -hmm. killed them off, and declared himself a supreme tri-mage, now controlling three, uh, three territories. The other mages demanded that he stand down and remove his forces, and he responded by uh, just straight up killing the guy that directly talked to him and then mm -hmm. turning the other mages into these uh, mindless killing machines known as Onstantine Priests. Okay, I'm still mostly with you. Okay. The other beings are known as the Prize, and they are these celestial angelic beings. They're very humanoid, humanoid in appearance, but they're basically just a bunch of like blue ladies with wings. Ah, yes, the blue ladies. The blue ladies, right. yes. They are the protectors of Heaven's Fence. They uh, they live within the star in the very middle of of, uh, of Heaven's Fence, Star Four. They are also charged with interpreting God's riddle. Uh, God left some sort of riddle behind that was supposed to act as a prophecy. This is the riddle: If man should decide to dabble in my affairs, then guardian must intervene. But should I come forth to change the face of man with you there to challenge me, then I shall return with the stars to destroy all I have made. Whether man or I present that danger will not be told in the coming. So basically, if shit goes awry, the prize have to figure out, is this God or is this some, some guy with a death ray? And then <laughs> if, it's a guy, if it's a guy with a death ray, they take him out. If it's God, they kind of have to let it happen. Right, yeah. Okay, moving on from them, there come to be developed these beings known as iRobots. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I just wanted to let that sink in because the first time I ever read that, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me because I had at, at least heard of Asimov a little bit. Right. I was like, Asimov? yeah, not quite like Asimov. So IRO in this case is an, a is an acronym, which stands for Interceptive Recon Operative. So this is where the Coheed and the Cambria come into Coheed and Cambria. They're robots? They're robots. So they're creating. You should have started with that. Well. 
I had to uh, again. I had to build up some. Uh, I had to set some groundwork okay. for for why they are robots and what they were made for. And who made who made the robot? The robot. Thank you for asking. Yeah, the robots were made by Doctor Lennon Hohenberger specifically so that he could get revenge on Wilhelm Ryan and oust him and take him down from power. Okay. Because now that he has control of the entire keywork and has unleashed these mindless killing machines on his enemies, and he he is a trimage. He's yeah. He's okay. supreme trimage. Also William, now Wilhelm in control Ryan. of the power station yes okay basically yes you're 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 getting it you're getting it. okay okay so he so hohenberger created these uh <laughs> created these irobots uh-huh. uh to form or to, or to form a force that would uh that would stop what he considered terrorist attacks carried out by ryan and to eventually kill him and end and end his reign so he created coheed who is known as the beast he's just Straight up violent. He's a monster. He's yeah. He's a destructive force to be reckoned with. Didn't I hear you say that Coheed and Cambria were based off of his parents? I would not say there are like a direct corollary okay. for Claudio Sanchez's actual parents. Okay. An important thing to note: the Claudio in the story is Claudio Kilgannon, not Claudio Sanchez specifically. They share a first name. There's a li- little, little superficial amount of right. separation there. Couldn't, couldn't possibly be referring to himself. No, are you kidding me? I want you to keep in mind the entire time you're describing this that I am a time traveler from 1967. So I'm imagining this entire story with the the same kind of mechanics Actually, as the original man, Star Trek. I can't, I can't even tell. Yes, <laughs> there we go. I was gonna say like, man, I can't even go to Star Wars, but yes, Star yeah, no. Trek. There uh, we go. So all of the robot people are. I think what what's the what's the captain that can only talk and he's in like a like a wheelchair box? Oh my god! <laughs> no, they're not like that. Yeah, it's a whole band of those guys. No. <laughs> I love it. I'm in. Excellent. Uh, so he yeah, so he creates Coheed, who is a pure destructive force. He creates Cambria, mm-hmm. who is meant to quell him and and uh, and stop him if need be. If 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 need be, actually kill him if he goes completely mm-hmm. out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jesse, who is basically a direct copy of Hohenberger and meant to carry carry on in his stead should something go wrong. Naturally, something goes wrong, and Hohenberger's plot is found out. Wilhelm Ryan labels him a terrorist and an enemy of the state, and he's executed. So before he's caught, he wipes Coheed and Cambria's memories. And sends them off to live like a life as normal people. Hmm. Now he, there are two other details to keep to keep in mind here regarding regarding that detail in particular. So Coheed, as a massive destructive force, is also infected with a virus known as the Monstar. Hohenberger did put they put this in here. It's a, basically like a gelatinous cube surrounding his heart. Gross. Yeah. And if it were to if it were to be triggered, it would it would burn away and then and then. And cause him to directly siphon the energy of the keywork to cause utter destruction, and that is the situation under which uh, Cambria would need to off him and stop him. Right. But he had made another irobot named Josephine, who was a little wee baby at the time. Mm-hmm. She's and she is considered to be Coheed and Cambria's eldest daughter, and she was de- developed specifically to be a cure. To the monster virus when she hit a certain age. Okay. Okay. You with me? Sure. Okay. So then we can actually now get into the real story. 
Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so actual synopsis of the second stage turbine blade. Coheed and Cambria live a quiet, normal life with their four children on the planet Hetricus. Wilhelm Ryan's general Mayo Deftenwolf, actual name, right. uh, confronts Coheed to remind him of his true past and uh, his relationship with uh, Hohenberger and Jesse and what they were re- and and what he and Cambria were actually meant to do. Uh, to tell him about the Monstar virus and to warn him that the Monstar has mutated into the Sinstar virus in his children and will cause a calamity when their oldest child reaches the age of 23, which Josephine is about to. This is complete bullshit. Mayo is absolutely lying to him. There's no, there, there, this is not going to happen. But Coheed has no reason to disbelieve this. You ever read the short story Young Goodman Brown? Yes. Um, by Nathan, Nathan Hawthorne. I believe it is Hawthorne. Uh, I remember reading in class and I'm like, sweet, this dude just like fucked off to the woods, saw some weird shit and it kind of freaked him out. And then we spent like a week and a half dissecting it. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't read any, <laughs> dude just saw some weird shit in the woods. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I don't know how this is I, like. I like that reading so much more than anything that Daniel Hawthorne <laughs> actually like wanted anyone to get out of it. No, I was pretty, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know what you're freaking out about, bro. It was probably pretty cool shit. Uh, it sounds pretty great. Can I get the shrooms you had? If you didn't like the party, go home. <laughs> Amazing, but oh, where my, were you in my fucking literature classes in undergrad? <laughs> my English teacher was like, "No, no, no, it's definitely about all these other things." And I feel like that would be my current read of the Coheed and Cambry albums, where I listen, I listen to like the first couple, and I'm like, "Seems like this guy is real sad." There is some sadness, and we're about to get to that. And you're like, "Actually, it's about sp- uh, space politics and um, robot daddies." Yes, it's space politics, space wizards and robot dad, well, fascist wizards and robot daddies. Uh, but Mayo, which again, not the sandwich spread, actual name, tells Coheed that he can be cured on, on, on a different planet, on Paris Earth, but only if he agrees to kill his children to save Heaven's Fence. And he provides him with four vials of poison with which to do this. Cambria, who has... At this point in the story, I believe just had like a run in with like a weird, like derelict guy in a parking lot and he happened to recite back to her part of uh god's riddle and like dave dave's like that yeah yeah dave dave running around shouting all this shit about whether god's violent or not and you know just he's he's harmless he's harmless he's fine but it triggers her memory a little bit and she starts to recover some of her powers which were specifically uh psychic abilities and telekinesis so she ends up accidentally scrying this whole situation and before Coheed can even talk to her about it, she knows everything that Mayo's told him. So she's aware of the situation and doesn't see a way out of it. So Coheed goes upstairs and poisons their youngest children, uh, Maria and Matthew, and spends their last moments of life playing with them and trying to, you know, accept the fact that they're about to die. And this right. is where some of the sadness and horrible things come in. Not like what I imagined when you said playing with them, as in like a cat playing with a mouse before it. No, no. But like... No, like like right. like 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 a father plays with his children. You see, yes, that makes that's less yes. disturbing. So, so while this is happening, uh, their oldest daughter Josephine and her fiance Patrick are driving about the, um, and they're on their way out to Jersey City. I will say one of the dumbest things about this story is the fact that there that there's a Jersey City on this non Earth planet, but there is also a planet that has Earth in its name. 
Th- that that part honestly was probably the most confusing thing so far. Yeah, because I because I noticed you you did like a what when I said Paris Earth. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna like let it roll, so, but then you brought up Jersey City. And I brought up Jersey City. Yes, that's why I'm addressing it now. So one of the big like real world things that like was formative for the start of this band was a trip that they took to Paris before they actually were Coheed and Cambria. Right. Like the majority of the people who started Coheed and Cambria had been in pre- other bands with each other previously. Most the the one that lasted the longest and like came right into the Coheed years was one called Shabuti. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just love watching your expressions <laughs> when I say these things to you. It's wonderful. <laughs> so the idea is that Patrick is driving Josephine out here because he wants to propose. They are not officially affianced just yet. But um, but he wants to propose out here. And when he's about to, they get attacked by the Jersey City Devils, a group of uh, bikers and ne'er-do-wells and gang members who just kick the ever-living shit out of Patrick and assault Josephine. This makes perfect sense. Yeah. So she, so they end up going uh, – they end up eventually returning home. Uh, Josephine tries to recount what they just went through but ends up just bawling and crying. And Coheed tells her to come here. And so he's going to soothe her. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that he had such a hard time watching the youngest die via poison that he's going to bash her head in with a hammer to just make it faster. Much easier. Yeah. So Patrick watches this happen and goes, holy fuck, and just runs, Mm -hmm. just gets the Mm -hmm. fuck out of there. Um, Shortly thereafter, uh, Wilhelm Ryan's Red Army arrived to detain Coheed and Cambria and prepare to burn the house down to destroy the evidence. Um, they are not aware that they they have one kid left. Pa- that's Patrick. No, Patrick. No, no Pat- Patrick was Patrick's just a loose end right now. I right, see Patrick. Uh, no, Claudio. Claudio. Claudio is the right. other uh, is the other. Um, Claudio the hair. Got it. Yeah. Well, he at this point the cl- fictional Claudio is just kind of a scrawny, short haired, like artsy, angry nerd with a with a girlfriend. He hasn't that, gotten his like hair of strength. No, he has not gotten hair strength. This this Claudio actually never gets the hair strength of real Claudio. Ah, bummer. Yeah. That's I mean why the movie didn't he, get made. he gets a little Jesus-y like in his look. Like he gets longer hair and a big old beard. And as we're about to see, like he some other shit that is useful. But before we get to that, uh these two there are a couple of these uh Red Army guys that start trying to burn the house down, but as they're in the process of that, an Onstantine priest arrives uh and just kills them because it was on its way to take Patrick out because he no because uh Ryan is aware of the fact that A, Claudio's still out there somewhere and hasn't been killed, and also mm-hmm. Patrick is around and is a loose end. Yeah, fuck Patrick. Yeah. I I feel really bad for Patrick. <laughs> Yeah, he had a pretty rough He's day. He's had a rough day. Um, <laughs> and we'll get into more of why later. Um, so Claudio is out with his girlfriend, Nuo Ikin, uh, who they've been they've been together for a couple of years. They are each other's world for the most part. They're in high school and in love. And right. Claudio realizes that he's Mrs. Curfew by like a lot uh, and decides to take off for the night. And he rushes home to, uh, to only, you know. Find some dead soldiers and his barely clinging to life sister in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And also a bunch of gas spilled everywhere, you know, like you do. So he so he runs to uh he runs to Josephine and by his touch she regains consciousness for a moment mm-hmm. and starts to try to tell him what happened, but at that point the priest comes back to try and off Claudio. At which point he turns intangible and ends up kitty priding himself through a wall like, and getting what's away. What's the problem with this priest? Like, why is he having what's his what's his? Dude? Well, the priest is the, the remember the priests are mindless, vicious killing machines. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, they're not. Yeah, this, this, yeah, it's not like Father Jacob from down the street has come by and decided to knife your family. That's it's, uh, it's not exactly what I. No, that's exactly what I, what I was thinking <laughs> when you described it. Yeah, this is more. Yeah, this is more like a. Um, you mix a Cenobite with a uh, with a um, uh, what the hell with a Xenomorph and oh. and you give it Gene Simmons's tongue. Oh that's... no! Sorry, Venom's tongue. That's Ven- so much it, overkill. If, if Gene Simmons was Venom, you give him that tongue. Okay. Yeah. Let's just keep going. Yeah, they're horrifying. <laughs> so he, it, it becomes clear he has some sort of bizarre powers, and he uses them to you know, get get himself the fuck out of that situation. And Josephine just calls out to say, "You'll make it. You'll, you'll make it if you believe." Just and then she dies. Uh, so then, he, end of issue one. This is a couple issues okay. at this point. Um. <laughs> So he then goes and mopes around outside of Nuo's house, watching her and her dog Apollo sleep like the like an invisible creep. Uh, and then he goes back to leave a note at his house after he's sure that the priest has gone. And so he leaves he leaves Nuo this note, which is basically a breakup note, but he hides like other details about like where he's about like what he's actually doing, which is you know just fucking off the planet to be safe and right. try and protect her from whatever the hell that was. The but uh, you know he, so he leaves he leaves the note. And then we eventually see that the you know the priest has gone off to go to go after Patrick, which eventually succeeds in killing Patrick's dumbass. So right. no no more Patrick. Sorry, Patrick. Uh, Claudio, while he's wandering around, takes a gun from a storefront display before stowing away on a trash ship. Uh, and during the ride, he writes his parents a letter and contemplates suicide before uh, deciding to save that bullet for somebody else. I think the line in the in the song is from the song Never Ender, which is also the name of the gun, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is uh, point your gun in another in another direction. Of course, that's exactly what I got from that yeah. lyric was that. Meanwhile, on Dil Arieth 9, Wilhelm Ryan's greatest challenger, a mage named Mariah Antelaria, uh, who was supposedly born of immaculate conception, rallies resistance forces. Remember, all of the mages were turned into Onstantine priests if they weren't killed. So how how Mariah? No one knows. Uh, so she and Jesse, the uh, the other Irabut that, uh, that we know of, who is supposed to be basically Coheed's brother and thus Claudio's uncle. Right. Has come back to uh, back her cause. And there he, uh, they learn of, of uh, Coheed and Cambria's capture. They try and go to rescue them and prevent Ryan from using them. Because uh, he wants he wants to create some havoc using, uh, you know, Coheed and Cambria. Sir, I'm just waiting for the bus. Just waiting for the <laughs> 91 to come. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in space, on the Gloria Valvesa, Coheed and Cambria are held captive on a ship en route to Paris Earth, where they think Coheed will be cured, but really they're being duped. Uh, the trauma of their situation unlocks their memories, revealing the truth that Josephine was the Monstar cure and that they've been duped. Coheed, the biggest dupe, rages as blades emerge from his arm and he frees himself and Cambria so that they can kill everyone and take over the ship. Coheed's arm eventually becomes a gun, for reasons, uh, but the armor worn by the admiral on the ship, Admiral Krom, uh, siphons his energy and prevents him from ending the ship's journey. Uh, Jesse av- arrives aboard his ship, the Grail Arbor, to try and stop the Gloria, but fails. Mariah goes to Paris Earth to prepare for battle, where she is joined by the Prize, who have been made aware of this whole situation. Meanwhile, on Hetricus, <laughs> Ambelina, a prize who has fallen and cho- and whose wings have been burned away, arrives to find Claudio, or to try to find Claudio, but instead finds Nuo reading his letter and who is about to be killed by a priest. Uh, through, uh, through the letter and Nuo, Ambelina picks up on where Claudio went and goes to try to find him. Nuo fucks off with her dog, I guess. 
Meanwhile, on Paris Earth, Coheed and Cambria land and Defton Wolf releases a massive number of dragonflies before Mariah's forces can stop him. The dragonflies contain a toxin that triggers the Monstar. Coheed is stung, and as his eyes meet Cambria's, he transforms to become the Monstar. Cambria also transforms into what is known as the White Ruineer. Uh, meant quick. to destroy the monster. What album are we on? Still the same album. God this is all it. the this this is all second stage turbine <laughs> blade. This is all to make my fucking point. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the same damn planet, Mariah's forces join are joined by the prize and are getting their asses handed to them by the Red Army. Paranoia, the leader of the prize, I think, is killed. Coheed does exactly what he's designed to do and saps all of the energy out of Star Seven, which holds Sector Twelve to the keywork, causing all of those planets to fly off into space. Uh, he dies as as Cambria does her job. The prize fighting alongside Mariah sacrifice themselves to sustain the energy of the keywork for the remaining 69 planets. Hmm. Noise. Thank you. <laughs> Mayo kills Mariah and eventually uh, later in the story presents her head in a box to Wilhelm Ryan. Cambria sacrifices herself to restore the energy to Star 7, allowing the nine lost planets to reestablish an orbit. And oh my god, it's our solar system! Oh. Oh. Also, Paris Earth becomes Silent Earth for reasons. Meanwhile, on Shilos 10... We're almost done, I swear okay. to god. <laughs> uh, Claudio lands and discovers a Red Army prison camp where the prisoners are sacrificed to the keywork because the keywork is powered by the souls of the dead. Yeah, it's how it works. The prisoners are also called stars. Lol. Uh, Claudio befriends a star named Cecil who tells him about the camp and its whole deal, as well as a guy who once tried to escape the camp but failed, known as the Hearshot Kid. Uh, Claudio decides to try and help the stars, but Cecil dissuades him because he's making a scene. Turns out Claudio was tailed by an Onstantine priest the entire time, and that eventually jumps out and tries to kill him. Claudio manages to save Cecil, and the Red Army that are there freak out and kill the priest, because, holy fuck, priest. Cecil then tells Claudio he should probably leave, so he wanders the rest of Shiloh's Ten homeless for about a decade. Meanwhile, somewhere else, Jesse went into hiding after the loss of Mariah on Paris Earth, but begins a career as a boxer to earn a living and presumably as a rage outlet. Now known as the prize fighter Inferno, he finds one of his opponents is a surviving prize who claims to be awaiting the coming of the Crowing, who will emerge and save the keywork. Jesse decides to rebuild the rebellion once more. Are you done? I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Only fucking Marky Mark. <laughs> would would hear read that and think oh movie movie yeah that's yeah like i said it's it's a lot it, it's a fucking lot there's so fucking much crammed into just this album how on earth do you make a movie out you, of that you don't you make an hbo miniseries yes i agree <sighs> so on top of that uh-huh as I mentioned, you later on have to then deal with the Grant Morrison-esque relationship between God and Claudio. Right, yeah. Because you find you find in Good Apollo 1 that you know God, the God of this world, is actually a writer crafting a story in this world. Is he a bald Scottish man? No, he looks mm. exactly like Claudio because, he, because Claudio is his self-insert character. It's the same thing Grant Morrison does. Yeah, basically. So... <laughs> So he, 
he's going through a he has gone through a breakup. He is exceedingly mad at his girlfriend because he thinks she cheated on him. Real life or comic? Comic. Okay. This is enti- yeah, comic. Comic probably masking something that happened in real life. Right. I I want to th- I want to believe that this is Claudio dealing with the fact that he had some feelings that were really toxic and was just getting them the fuck out. Yeah, this wouldn't be the worst way to do it. Yeah. So a lot of that story is like the like the ever encroaching nature of the of God, the writers, will and worry and uh and and rage encroaching on the uh the existential crisis and guilt and pain of Claudio the character. So just getting through all of that is a lot. I challenge any screenwriter <laughs> to be able to do that effectively. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to compare this to two other, t- specifically TV products. One that has failed and one that has theoretically not. Oh, okay. Uh, the first is The Invisibles by Grant Morrison, in which somebody... I still, need to, I still need to read that. It is, and I know we just spent 40 minutes going through the plot of <laughs> one album. It's dense as fuck. Cool. Uh, so it, I'll love it. You'll also need the compa- <laughs> the companion guide. I mean, I'm not against doing that. That's basically how I got through Moby Dick whenever I first read it, and I fucking loved that. <laughs> the only part of Moby Dick I read was the part that they put above the urinal sometimes about washing your hands. That's a good part. Yeah, I, I was like, this is pretty good. I actually, I read this. I, I haven't. It's it's quite good, and it's real gay at parts. Oh, and a I lot of people like don't want to talk about that, but like, sounds like the best part to me. Yeah, great. There, uh, like, uh. Ish, uh, Ishmael like wakes up in a bed with Queequeg early on before they actually <laughs> set sail, and there's this whole chapter about rendering whale fat that's just well, the most homoerotic thing I've ever read in okay. literature. See, before you add that second part, I'm like, I don't really want to read that chapter about rendering whale, whale fat. fat. Yeah, but then no, you're like, it's yeah. a metaphor for gay stuff, and I'm like, sweet. It's just the way it's written. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is like this is strangely. Strangely homoerotic. <laughs> this is oddly hot. The weird foreplay. Back yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh man, I'm really glad we had to bring that up today. That's yeah. wonderful. Uh, but the Invisibles <laughs> is vast and dense and takes. It, it was the inspiration for the Matrix. If that tells you anything, that tells me some. Uh, yeah, just the kind of like thoughts, uh, themes behind it. Sure. Um, so that never got made. And the other one that might not be dead. The other one that I, is not dead, I just don't know if it's success yet, is Sandman. Which is, oh, right, because that's just about to come out. Yeah. Which is also a comic book that is super dense it and all over the fucking dense. place. Yeah, that's very true. I, I am, like, I was so worried about that mm-hmm. project when they first announced it, but at this point, I am super excited. Like, I'm, I'm pumped. I refuse to look at anything until some major, like, mega nerd tells me it's good. Fair. So let Fair. me know. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the first episodes and let you know. I'll pro- who am I kidding? I'll probably binge the entire fucking series. Yeah. Just, you know. Uh, so that was a lot to digest. So, and we're not quite done. So I, what do you say? <laughs> we take one more break and yeah. then we'll come back and we'll, clo- okay. and we'll close things out. You ever watch The Crucible? Yeah. The, specifically the play, the movies, whatever. But Actually, you know what? I've never actually seen mm-hmm. the play performed. Um, so it's a metaphor for the Red Scare. Okay. And the, the trials, I forget what they're specifically called, but the trials were like different actors and people would be blacklisted from Hollywood. But he intentionally wrote the play to be tedious and long so that 
you could feel what it was like to go through the trials. Oh, that's excellent. I and actually, I actually no, love it's, that. It's like once I learned that, I'm like, you know, I actually kind of like this play now. Yeah. Uh, I feel like so that w- that's what you just did to me was like <laughs> <laughs> make me sit through this like long, tedious explanation so that I knew how impossible it was to make it into a movie. Now your 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 homework you after the, fucking crucible me. I did kind of crucible you. Now your homework after we're done here is to listen to the album again and tell me if you if you actually picked up on anything. Let's uh, we'll, we'll be back after break. <laughs> Welcome to Making a Martini, up, dry, and straight to the point. I am the host, Caleb Viggles, accompanied by my CFO, Scooter, who is my dog. And together, we are bringing you the podcast education you never knew you needed. Sometimes more than you get in our own country's actual education system. Do the children of today learn about sex, Shakespeare, and race in school? I mean, maybe, but I sure didn't, and look what happened to me. I started a podcast. And is this really what you want for your children? No, it's fucking not. But I can guarantee that the children in school today don't learn about the Alien franchise, why Grease 2 is better than Grease, and certainly not the joys of Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, which you will learn here. And if you came here thinking this is going to be a podcast on how to make martinis and whatnot, well, you're almost right, because we are making cocktails cocktails for all occasions including the classic dirty vodka martini the pride teeny and the bro knee and more typically accompanied by a knowledgeable guest or at least someone who i think is knowledgeable and entertaining and hey you might think so too i mean what more could anyone with a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for vodka based drinks want in their life so join me with our bi-weekly themed cocktail as we take on numerous practical and crazy topics, have a laugh, and get straight to the point. I'm practically drunk just thinking about it. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram, and remember, please drink responsibly. Cheers. Welcome back, everybody. All right, so there are. Uh, I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to start with a content warning at this point because sure. we are going to have to talk about sexual assault a little bit. Got it. Um, which brings me to the next reason that I feel like this would be a particularly hard thing to to adapt, and it's just deeply troubling material that is pre- that is present throughout a lot of the story. So the, f- I mean, first and foremost. You know, as as you were not prepared for, uh, basically family annihilation right out of the gate uh, with the poisoning of two little kids and the bashing of a hammer into a young girl's head. Yeah, a little, little true crimey. A little true crimey for a minute there. Yeah, like you can almost you can almost imagine Henry Zabrowski reading about that. <laughs> yeah, and then you know as as a you know as I mentioned Josephine's attack, uh, while the Jersey City Devils did uh, uh, while they beat Patrick to a pulp, uh, it is. It is. It's not directly shown, mm-hmm. but they do rape Josephine. They, there is a sexual assault that takes place there. Uh, in the panels of the actual comic, is it's confirmed in the issue after the the attack takes place through like a couple of quick flashback panels going alongside like what's happening in the present, mm-hmm. uh, and you know because there's a an image of her pants being pulled down to reveal her underwear. 
like none of it like and none of it is mm-hmm. is drawn or presented as sexy or anything like that like it's all very harrowing and and troubling and momentary they get past it as quickly as they can do you think it's an example of the frigid girlfriend trope ah meaning does her death propel the motivation of another character only in so far as the rest of the kilgannon family's death prepare or 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 a propel the motivation of a character because Claudio is largely out for revenge for the death of his entire family. Gotcha. Because he does eventually learn like what actually happened to his parents. Okay. He learns what happened to Matthew and and Maria, his younger, his, like the, the, the twins that were poisoned. Like he, he learns all of this. Gotcha. So in, so I guess yes and no. Yeah. it, It, if it was like just that and only that, and she was never spoken of again, other than to show the pain that he was experiencing, then it might be. But since he's out for the entire revenge of his family, yeah, pro- probably not. Right, and I, I feel like I, I actually kind of have to address like some current events that have happened uh, be, uh, in relation to this because I, I think at this point. If an adaptation were to take place, I think that Claudio and Chandra would be particularly mindful about this and firmly avoid occlu- in- including this detail, mm-hmm. uh, largely because they've just been faced with uh, this kind of thing. Uh, the band Dance Gavin Dance was supposed to be touring with Coheed and Cambria in like literally a couple days here. Like they're supposed to start a summer. Oh, okay. tr- they were supposed to start a summer tour together, and uh, their lead singer. Uh, Tillian Pearson uh, is facing several uh, sexual misconduct charges, including allegations of rape from a fan. This is Dance Gavin Dance. Dance. This is Dance Gavin Dance. This is a completely different band that you right, don't right, actually right. need to know anything about. Right. With the ex- with the exception that Coheed removed them from their tour. Good, good for you guys. Yeah, yeah. The correct choice, uh, yeah. Yeah, given uh, their initial inclination, was Tillian is going to get help. Uh, and we're going to continue to tour without him. It's like, no, 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 you're not. No, all of you motherfuckers need help because this isn't the only thing that band's dealing yeah. with. Their bassist also died earlier this year. So, like, they're oh all in God. a rough place. Yeah. So, like, they all need some time off to, like, heal. Yeah. Also, Tillian might need a lawyer in jail time. Yeah. But that's not for me to decide. There are some further concerning characters that are introduced later on, uh, particularly in In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. There is uh, the matter of Al the Killer. So he is uh, – he he ends up being uh, the ride that Claudio and company uh, end up getting to get to a particular area. Like they okay. to go and try, and try and confront Wilhelm Ryan for the first time. Uh, and during their travels about aboard his ship, uh, it's discovered that a uh, he's he's got a really uncomfortable relationship with his sniper rifle. Yes, you did breeze over that. Earlier. I did breeze over that earlier, and that's because because I was going to bring it back and, right, uh, and right. address that. I wasn't going to leave that hanging <laughs> there. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it's largely suggested that he is in love with his gun to like in a se- in a sex way. It's, it's a mm-hmm. sex thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe no one's entirely sure. He also uh, he also um, has a specific thing about killing white girls. Would it? <laughs> Just what nationality is he? I mean, that's kind of hard to gauge. Uh, okay. He he is uh, he is um, he's presented in the comic as darker skinned. I think like not like. 
he's not white himself. Okay. Uh, also, visually, he's a little hard to like actually present because sure. he has like all these body modifications, most notably a giant gaping hole in his forehead that reve- that actually reveals brain. Yeah, it's a bit. It's rough. It's a bad yeah. day. Yeah, you don't want that. I mean, it's not as um, rough as the die white girls thing, but I guess as a it feels weird to say as a fan of true crime, <laughs> as a person who finds weird comfort in true crime, um that's a thing. Yeah. Uh so I'm not surprised that like young white girls is like a uh, his uh, demographic a fixation that he has. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's deeply troubling. It's right. it's fucked up. I I can definitely see like where like where that may have come from in some ways in t- like in terms of true crime and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But and, and yeah. I mean if they're like hanging out and drinking with this guy and he's like, hey, you want to meet our buddy Al? He's got some issues. But we don't talk about it. Then I, I would be like, <laughs> probably want to change that. But if yeah, they're they're it, like Al's, we he's a bad guy. It's more yeah. It's more that like they discover that Al's a bad guy, and he does then try to like double cross them mm-hmm. and turn them over mm-hmm. to Wilhelm Ryan. Um, whenever they get to his 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 fortress or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, he ends up having a change of heart, if I'm not mistaken, and ends up and ends up like giving them cover fire to escape with his girlfriend gun. With his girlfriend gun, yeah, right, yeah. It's weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know how they would handle that in an actual adaptation. Like if they would go through with that, with like the the characterization oh, as current. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's bumping up against some like Garth Enos type story. <laughs> a little bit, right? Like it, it, like it's like if you told me this was like an episode of The Boys, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> of course it is. I still need, I still need to watch that. I've but... also not watched it yet, but I, I know Enos. Fair. Enos, Enos. We'll never know. Whatever. Yeah. So. Just like it, in with like that to consider, and like all of the God slash the writers' obvious misogyny going on that we need to also that like also has to be grappled with. It's right. like there, like there are some problematic elements of the story as it currently exists that I think would need to be addressed in mm-hmm. in a in a in an adaptation at this point. You'd have to have a skilled showrunner. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Okay, we're gonna step away from the actual story for a second, and we're gonna talk oh. about Mark Wahlberg. Love it. Okay, so as I mentioned, this was optioned by Mark Wahlberg and Leverage uh, Management in 2012. Between 2012 and 2019, Mark Wahlberg produced 12 films. Oh, good. I was going to look them up. uh, Acted in 19 films uh, and made a shit ton of appearances as himself, including the 28 episodes of the Wahlbergers TV show about the burger restaurant that his family owns together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no, which no, if you go tracks. to a Wahlburgers location it's just playing on loop on tvs oh there my god you mean imagine being a server there i can't know hell i would oh my god <laughs> and they show up at locations sometimes Great. like they, like i like I, when i worked or when i worked up near the one in uh in ross township here mm-hmm. like Everyone in like a five block radius of that of of uh, of that of that shopping center knew that like oh uh, Mark or Donnie is going to be showing up to oh, uh, to like you know do a meet and greet at Wahlburgers and like and it would get packed and stupid. It's just like what are you doing? <laughs> it's just Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> okay, all right. Or it's just Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> right. Has Donnie been in anything besides uh, new- his own fucking show? Well, also New Kids on the Block. 
He was a member of New Kids on the Block back in the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That boy band. The first boy band, arguably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to breeze past that. Yeah, that's fair. That's all the mention that it requires. (laughs) So the thing that kills me a little bit is there are all these claims that everyone at Leverage was really, like, really interested and cared about the story of the Amory Wars. But in the time from the uh, from the announcement of this film to the the rights lapsing, mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg never said a single substantive thing about this property or this story or this project in any interviews. The closest he came that I could find mm-hmm. was a Q&A with GQ that was posted to their YouTube channel in December of 2017. Or he's doing one of those like uh, those fan submitted questions, or he's yeah. like pulling stuff off of Reddit and AMA. stuff. Yeah, yeah, kind, yeah, kind of like an AMA, but like with a video component for GQ. Gotcha. And he has the text of the question right in front of him. Like, is there any update for the Armory Wars movie? Mm-hmm. And he reads it and he pronounces it Armory Wars. And while like it's a very minor error, that's it, fascinating because I was actually going to bring that up because it, I I my dyslexic ass read it as the Armory War, which is a Iron Man storyline. The Armor Wars, yeah. 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 Uh, no, yeah, it's very much not that. But yeah, but Mark Wahlberg, with the text of the question, with the, with like the correctly spelled text of the title in front of him, uh-huh. did mispronounce it. And again, a very minor error. Anybody could have done that. But like when you're supposedly that into the story and, and interested in making it happen, right. and like in that moment telling people there are no updates, I'll let you know when there are. It just comes, kind of comes across as like, oh, this is you don't give a shit. This is this is this is falling through. This is not actually going to happen. So that's essentially everything that's come up to now. Okay. Knowing all that, do you think that this stands any chance of ever seeing the light of day? It's such a niche project that I don't know that there would be any like it, it. It would be such an expensive project. It would. Oh my god! Yeah. That like. It does have an established audience, but it doesn't have a massive audience. Right. And that's an interesting point to bring up because I tried looking up sales statistics on mm-hmm. the actual books. Very hard to find. And the only things I was able to really find were like month to month information on individual issues and not even for all of them. And the most that I found for a single issue, I think, was around 6,900 in a month for like in like the month mm-hmm. of release for a single issue. And like I know my comic books and I had I had no idea this comic book existed before you brought it to my dungeon. Sure. I mean it started off as a project through Claudio's own comic company or comic imprint, which is Evil Inc. Comics. Okay. Uh and it the the uh the current run of everything has been uh published by Boom Studios. Okay. All right, that's, that's a step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still uh, not like DC or Marvel or Image or Dark Horse or anything like that, but Boom's still very respectable. It's, yeah, they're, it's they're, not they're, quite they're an, Image, but they're it's a known, close. They're a known entity at least. Mm-hmm. Like people, like they're they're a name people would recognize. They have a lot of what I refer to as like millennial intellectual property. Okay, like Buffy and Power Rangers. That makes a lot of sense. I think and the Amory Wars. And the Amory Wars. So my, I would say no, but I I would love for you to say. Actually, I'm going to say possibly. Okay, I do, I I obviously can't say yes. I don't. I right. I have no certainty of this getting adapted at any point ever. But 
in an interview with, I believe it was Spin Magazine regarding their new album, uh, mm. which is uh, Vaxis Act Two, A Window for uh, of a Waking Mind. Right, of course it is. Yeah. Uh, it's mentioned that pitches are currently being developed for a new adaptation attempt. And the fact that they're published through Boom Studios mm. could potentially be a big aid in that because Boom just recently announced a first look partnership with Netflix for adaptations of their properties. Okay. And that's more of the push that a lot of people are going for. Like you mentioned doing an HBO Max mm-hmm. series. There are petitions active amongst amongst the fans of Coheed to do a Netflix series for this. Now, given fan uh, petitions aren't exactly the most successful things in the world. No. But it is nice to have like a tangible thing to show that interest. You know what could work? Did you watch the League of Legends show that was on Netflix? Arcane? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I am interested in checking it out because I've heard that you don't actually need to know shit about the game. Never played the game. Have I have no idea what the fuck I it is. I have negative interest in playing that game. But I actually really enjoyed the show. Yeah? And there are adult, I like the, adult themes. The I animation like the, is cool. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I like the animation style. The voice acting is really, really good. Hell yes. But if you could get the... The, the company, I want to say it's Frederator, but I'm not sure. Frederator, really? I, I could be wrong. Huh. But if you got that company working on this as an animated show, I mean, even the Castlevania show is a more mature anime. Yeah. Anime, yeah. I mean, they're, they're boobies. Anime? There are boobies. And a wiener. There's a ween? I think there's a, in like the next last season, there's a, there's a ween. Nice. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, watch me some Castlevania. <laughs> Enjoy. So, yeah, I, I think if they went that route, it would work. I think I still think a live action would be the dumbest way to go about it. There, There's some – there's not really a consensus at this point, I think, that, that I've seen among fans. Like, a lot of people are like, yeah, I want the live action thing mm-hmm. to happen. And a lot of people are like, no, animation. That's the, like, that's the key. That's yeah. not what we should do. And I think I'm leaning animation on it just because then I think you have a bit more freedom to do more with less – you don't have yeah. you don't have to necessarily pay big name stars for like stunts and prosthetics and makeup and all the other shit they're going to have to go through yeah. and all the big time commitment of filming something of this scale. Well, from the story you described, the world that needs built, go animated. Like you're not yeah. going to be able to afford like you. You would have to have such. You'd have to have a Marvel established universe in order to get like the monies to make this. Yeah, I haven't read the comic books. I don't know how big it actually is, and as far as like action goes, but pretty big. I mean, they're like you're dealing with like space battles. You're dealing with uh, people with psychic abilities. You're dealing with warring factions and armies. Yeah, uh, you need a you know a lot of hand to hand combat at various points. Um. And of course, the total annihilation of a system of stars. Right. That could that could be expensive. A little bit, a little bit. But I, I am a little bit hopeful that this is going to eventually come to fruition. Mostly because their new album has gotten so much critical acclaim, critical and audience acclaim. Like I've seen, I've seen lifelong Coheed fans refer to this as their best record of theirs that they've heard in fifteen years. Hmm. For a band that hasn't had a gold record specifically since 2005, okay, that's a huge yeah. shot in the arm. Especially for for something like like Vaxus Two, 
does things that this band has never done before. Like the way it, like they blend in much more, like a lot of like pop and R and B elements into the music to like flesh the soundscape out in ways that they've never been capable of. Okay. Uh, and also Claudio managed to do some different things songwriting wise uh, that he hadn't done before because he has now a little bit of musical writing experience. In 2016, he got commissioned to write, uh, to write music. I think just music. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, for a uh, a new adaptation of um a, mus- a new musical adaptation of the Portrait of Dorian Gray, it doesn't sound <laughs> like the worst decision to have him write that, that uh, one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know if he's just doing the music or if he's also doing the book. I sure, kind of sure. hope he's just doing the music and they have somebody who's actually like a gay man or otherwise queer right, to do right, the book, yeah. just because. You know, adapting Oscar Wilde. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, that project never really came to fruition. So he has like an entire act of music that he's oh, been sitting okay. on. And he didn't use it specifically in this project. But especially when you get to the title track at the very end of the album, mm-hmm. like the quality of that song is mm-hmm. very musical, theatrical, like, is sweeping okay. and it's great. Like the last three songs of that record in particular are just like this sweeping prog rock epic of, and that's his newest. This is from the newest record, yeah. So like you have like a lot of like their like this or this mix of like this new pop influenced R and B fused like electronic tinge stuff that also has all the genres of music, Joe. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bit of polka. There's (laughs) quick correction the. Animated com- the animation company that produced Arcane is, and it's French, so I might fuck this up. Okay. Uh, Fortiche? Okay. Yeah. So, quick, quick correction there. All right. But, uh, but yeah, that is, that up to now is the Amory Wars and the state of things surrounding that. Um, I'm hoping that right now the iron's hot and that somebody's looking to strike and actually make it happen. But uh, until then, uh, this is still kind of languishing in development hell. All right. I've, I've two, after listening to you. Yes. For an hour and a half, talk about this. Yeah. Uh, two questions. One. Please. Who's going to play Claudio? Who's going to play Claudio? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. And it, it, if he casts himself, that that's where it becomes masturbatory. I'll be so mad. I'll be so mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's specifically said in interviews, like, mm-hmm. yeah, if I could, if I could not have done that, I would. But okay. It's, it's, he's too, it's, too, it's too late now. <laughs> you know how old he was when he started writing the. Oh comics? man. Because well, the it, comics it, came after, so it was okay. it, it, it was just the music first. But okay. uh, within because, the lyrics, does he refer to that character yes. as Claudio? Okay, yeah, and specifically in the song "Everything Evil," which is on the playlist that we had put together, because uh, DeRozzo presents uh, Camber Heat in the Tijuana Brass. Yeah, in the song "Everything Evil," you do get uh, a reference to his name specifically being Claudio. It, it feels like a very young writer thing to do. Yes. Um, so if you were like, oh, he was like 20 when he did it. Like, he oh, was yeah, definitely, like, he was definitely like out of his teens, but mm-hmm. uh, 20, if not early 20s. Okay. Yeah. I think that, I think that's accurate. So I'm not surprised. He's like, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like around the time, I think I was, I was reading an interview with him from around the time Good Apollo 1 came out mm-hmm. and he was like, man, I, w- I really wish I hadn't done that, but here we are. I got to roll with it. So, uh, John Goodman then. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, for I mean, nothing he couldn't do it. No, you can pretty much do anything. You know what? No, John Goodman for Al the Killer. Uh, oh god, <laughs> I, and uh, he he plays a really good villain. He does though.
Okay, no, serious casting for Claudio. Ah, damn it. If Oscar Isaac were like a young a younger actor. How how old is the character Claudio? Um he's he's like a, a teenager at the beginning oh, of the story. Okay. And then he he ages up into like his mid twenties after 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 the first album. Okay. Knowing nothing about this story other than what you've just told me. Yeah. Uh Timothy Chalamet. You know that that his name was like going around yeah. in my head, but I was like, man, I want someone less white. I just Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. That's uh that's tough because Hollywood doesn't uh... I know give a whole lot of options there yeah because like not not that chalamet couldn't do it right i I just i would love oh man it's like oh he's a youngish 20s actor who's like vaguely introverted timothy chalamet yeah um i I could definitely see that being what what ends up happening there great more importantly yes who's marky playing You know, oh, if, he, if he had produced this movie, he's yeah, gonna be in he's, it. He he did end up being Jesse. I I just I just know it because he's doesn't die in the first movie, right? And, be there for the sequel, and yeah. and he he plays an important role as uh, an iRobot. Oh, and the robot. He's one of the robots. Yeah, yeah and it, yeah, because he's he's the one meant to carry forth the mission after Hohenberger's been killed off. Um, yeah. And like monitor Coheed and Cambria, make sure they're okay, and he fucks up when they get captured. But uh, but he survives, and he you know he gets to uh, yeah. How, plus, how old is he in the comics? That's hard to gauge. He's a robot. Oh yeah, never yeah. Mind. He's he's an adult robot. I wanted you to say like fifteen, and then we get like an old ass Marky Mark. <laughs> oh my god, that's like a fifteen year old robot. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's got a Donnie in there somewhere. Donnie, who's Donnie playing? Cecil. He's playing Cecil. Great. I don't remember that character. No, Perfect. No. Donnie Donnie's one of the Red Army soldiers that tries to burn down the house but gets murked by a priest. That makes more sense. I was gonna say the murder bike, but <laughs> Donnie's ten speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh you'll 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 enjoy this. Uh in in the song Ten Speed. Yes. Um uh, there's it's hard to make out like a lot of the conversations happening but there mm. is like a direct dialogue between 10 speed and the writer slash god right where he's like trying to te- uh, convince him to kill off uh the representation of his ex which I, if i'm if i'm interpreting it correctly is ambelina the uh the 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 blue angel lady without whose wings were burned off great um he's trying to convince her to, to kill her off uh, and the writer responds back to him in the immediate, like, well, that's not your decision. And how does that work anyway? You're a bicycle. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good line. It's pretty good. Um, it's my it's my favorite whenever you have a crowd of people just shouting it at, at, at a, <laughs> whenever they play it live. God, that's going to be great. It's, so it's like have those, those words <laughs> vibrating through your chest. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, anything else you want to... Address with um, the Amory Wars. Um, no, I think that covers everything. I mean, I like I've, I've been like I said, I've been a fan of this band for almost the entirety of the time that they have existed. This is the tw- like, this is the twentieth. This year's the twentieth anniversary of the uh, second stage Turbine Blade. Okay, and you know, then the release of their latest record, and I'm just thrilled to see where this band goes and see what ends up actually happening with the story, and if it you know if it does get adapted anywhere. Uh, so if if yeah. you also want to see this movie get made, go to your closest Wahlburger, 
<laughs> uh, Donnie will be there. Mark the, might be. Mark might be. Just be like, uh, <laughs> why didn't you do the movie, Mark? If somebody could actually get like an answer out of him, that would be amazing. Yeah, actually, I, we just want to know. Yeah, I, don't tell him to make it because that would probably wouldn't have turned out well. Yeah, just like get him to actually explain, like, hey, what happened with this? Just that would be a that would be amazing. Just because he's never said anything substantive. I like to pretend he bought it for Donnie. Oh my god! Like Donnie really wanted it. <laughs> Like, and then he got fine. it and never played with it. And then, you know, yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm not going to renew the license, Donnie. You didn't play with it in the first place. <laughs> you expect me to just keep getting you, keep getting you movies and you haven't used the last yeah. one. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, fascinating. <laughs> d- development hell is fascinating usually yes. usually fascinating yes I, I think this one's pretty fascinating i'm excited to dig into more yes uh because i like like we said this is going to be an ongoing series in the second unit uh this is just just the just us hitting the ground running here now uh and uh yeah I'm, i i can't wait to learn more about what went wrong with so many other films which is oftentimes an issue uh even for movies that like like sandman that's been Said to have been a miniseries for like basically since True. it first came out. There was supposed to be, there, I mean, there was supposed to be that Joseph Gordon Levitt one for a yeah. while, and nothing came of that. I think there was a couple of attempts before that, mm-hmm. even. They're, they want to do a movie, then they want to do a series, and then they just, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with a real winner. I'm excited about it. Been yes. doing a lot of research, more research than is necessary. But I, I'm thrilled that we're, yeah, we're going to finally get to cover it. We talked about it a little bit last season, yeah. and now we're finally going to be jumping in. Yeah, we're going to do Mommy Dearest, which is a movie based on the relationship between Joan Crawford and her adopted daughter. And uh, it was not a good one. And the movie is known for being a little um, cheesy. A yes. Melodramatic. A little, melodramatic is a better word. Yeah. Yes. So I'm I'm super pumped to get into that. I hope you all are excited to hear that one. In the meantime, please rate and review us wherever you uh wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do so on uh Good Pods, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser. Please do that so people have an easier time finding us and discovering the show and sharing it with their friends. Please follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter at DerazzledPod, on Facebook at DerazzledPodcast, on Instagram at Derazzled underscore podcast, and TikTok at Dullboy underscore Jack. And if you're having problems with foreplay in the bedroom, don't knock the discussion of rendering well over. Don't. No, no. It's, you'd be amazed how effective it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Don't knock until you've tried it. There. The underpants just fly off. Fly right off. It's astounding. It's slip, slip and slide. Right? That's just <laughs> like the rendered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time where we'll be we're sure, sure to, to razzle dazzle you. <laughs> <laughs>